How's it going, everybody? This is the Nitty Gritty. My name is Chad. With me is Leonard. This is a show about wrestling. And this week, we are going to be covering one talent in particular. And as a matter of fact, uh, a year in the period of his very long career. And that would be Greg Valentine and his stint in WCW. So let's go over some basics about Mr. Valentine. He was born Jonathan Anthony Wisniewski, September 20th, 1951. And he has over five decades held more than 40 championships, which include the WWF Intercontinental Championship, the NWA United States Heavyweight Championship, NWA World Tag Team Championships, WWF World Tag Team Championships, and on and on and on. And he is the son of wrestling legend Johnny Valentine. And I did not know this until we started researching this, Leonard, but he actually at one point went by Johnny Valentine Jr. Oh, I don't think I knew that either. Yeah. And his brother-in-law is Brian Knobs. So there's a lot about Greg Valentine that maybe we didn't know. Uh, I'm disappointed, Leonard, that he wasn't born Greg the Hammer Valentine. I uh, was hoping that would be the case. That's Including the hammer on the birth certificate, like his middle name is the hammer. <laughs> I don't know. So, yes, he has. Uh, he was with Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling. He was with Worldwide Wrestling Federation. Uh, he was, of course, with WWF and a lot of different companies. But most people listening or watching this are probably most familiar with his WWF run, where he was the Intercontinental Champion, Tag Team Champion, and uh, had some feuds with Tito Santana and uh, Ronnie Garvin, as we've talked about on a previous episode. And so that's where I first learned about him. Now, you know, I might, I'm probably different in that when I first heard about him than you lettered, but it was probably around the WrestleMania five, six area that I first really, in my earlier memories of him, um, when he was in the dream team with Brutus Beefcake, I was a little bit young to really recall that happening live. So Leonard, uh, when did you first discover Greg Valentine? Well, you're right. I'm I'm a couple years older than you, so I do remember the Dream Team uh, tag team, but very briefly. I think it was at the very end of that run that I remember uh, him at. So I primarily remember him as a mid card singles wrestler. Didn't think much of him, of course, as a kid, wasn't a big fan. And then from there, the tag team, they have the Honky Tonk Man, Rhythm and Blues, where he dyed his hair black. And I know that Honky Tonk Man has always jokingly called it Rhythm and Snooze. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, the video that we did with Greg, with Ronnie Garvin. Uh, and this makes a good compliment to that because Ronnie Garvin spent uh, a, a brief amount of time in WWF and he feuded with Valentine during that period. And here, uh, and we talked about how that Garvin didn't necessarily fit the WWF style and characters at the time. And I don't think Valentine did either. And that's why he wound up working with Garvin. But he was a staple of the 1980s nonetheless. I always think of Gar uh, Valentine as someone who kind of got grandfathered in. Like he was there already. And Vince just kind of kept him and worked around him. Uh, more than anything during that period 
And, uh, you know, and I was going to say this during the summation, but you did mention his own career. I've met Greg Valentine a few different times, autograph shows and indie shows and things of that nature. And the astounding thing to me is that Greg Valentine today at the age of 70 looks about the same as he did 40 years ago. (laughs) So, I mean, saying that he at the age of 30, he looked like he was 70. And, um, you know, he wrestled a style that I think. And, I, and I'm not bad-mouthing him, because if I was going to make a list of the 100 greatest wrestlers of all time, I think Valentine would be on that. I don't know where. I'd have to really, you know, sit down and do that. But he wrestled a style, and I think we're going to get into that as we talk about some of the matches from this era of 1992, is he wrestles a style that um, I would call him an old-school all-arounder. He can brawl a little. He can technically wrestle a little. He can power wrestle a little. He doesn't go to the top rope. He rarely goes outside. I mean, he may bail to the outside, but he's not going to fight outside. And so he's got a style that is very old school and a style that you would think would fit WCW better than WWF at the time. But as we see, as we'll talk about, I'm sure, there were some changes and different things going on with WCW of 1992. Yeah. um, So, yeah, I mean... I agree with a lot of what you were saying there. He was, you know, pretty much a mid-card guy. But I think before the 91 Rumble, like the 91 Rumble was really where I started to appreciate his work. That was the Rumble that he lasted over 44 minutes in it. And, um, the, the, you know, the commentary of Greg Valentine by Gorilla Monsoon and, you know, Jesse Ventura and Bobby Heenan, like, I think helped him a lot, really kind of, laid out what type of wrestler he was in that you know it takes him a while to get going and he has a certain type of a style and that's what the commentary commentators did that really i think helped him become a name that people still talk about uh obviously his work in the ring is part of that as well but i think an understated part of his legacy is how well uh the commentators talked about him and his style is very old school and very deliberately paced you know not slow because i think he does something everything he does has a meaning and makes sense but he goes at his own pace and it really suits his body frame and his speed through the match and you know i always i, I think that that type of style is missing these days where it feels like you know they have to go really fast through a match and you know have to do 50 million things Whereas Greg Valentine didn't do that. Like he would tell a story in the ring um, as most people who have a submission finisher would do. Um, but uh, yeah. So I was uh, a fan of his, you know, he, even though he was a heel, I always appreciated his work. Um, but he would kind of play hopscotch in companies, you know, throughout his career. And we'll talk about that here um, because we are focusing on his 1992 stint in WCW. But before we get there, we have to talk about how he left the WWF. Now, Greg Valentine has done shoot interviews. So his, you know, he has spoken about this out there. I, you know, don't want to be too critical of the interviewers that I've seen, but like, at least in one case, uh, they would ask uh, Valentine some leading questions like, 
oh, you left in 92 because the gimmicks were being cartoony, right? And so, of course, he said, yes, that's why, <laughs> you know, you know, which is totally not the whole story. Um, you know, anybody who's listened to podcasts out there with some of the guys that were around back then, Bruce Pritchard or who or Jim Ross, whoever, is that in 92, the WWF was really full steam ahead with a youth movement. And uh, the youth movement would not have included Greg Valentine. <laughs> if it didn't include Randy Savage, it certainly would have would not have included Greg Valentine. So that's part of it, too, I believe. Obviously, the gimmicks then were very cartoony, and I'm sure that was part of it. But as his interviews have kind of told me, when he starts to move down the card and lose on a fairly regular basis, maybe to people he doesn't feel he should be losing to, he tends to jump ship and leave for greener pastures. So I think there was a lot of that in it as well. Um, so he did go to WCW in 1992, and he made his debut February 4th, 1992, at a house show in Norfolk, Virginia. And this kind of started his teaming with Terry Taylor, who at that time was known as the Taylor Made Man. So we'll take a pause there in that I just want to say, his w, in his WCW run, this was my favorite part of it. Um, now, I don't know if Leonard agrees he had teamed with other people as well, as we'll talk mm -hmm. about, but I think he and Terry Taylor, odd as they may seem, I think that they made a good combo. They became the United States uh, Tag Team Champions and had uh, some pretty okay feuds with the Freebirds and, you know, some of the others that were around back then. Uh, but uh, Leonard, do you remember this little stint of his? Because I've been honest. Before this was suggested as a topic, I did not realize or remember that Greg Valentine was in WCW. I mean, around 92, I was not watching a lot of wrestling back at that time for many reasons. So I didn't even realize he was there. I mean, it was less than a year so. Yeah, I mean, I was watching the product at the time, but I can't say that I remember much of Valentine in WCW dur during actual 1992. I have, of course, now that I've got the network, I love watching like ra random episodes of WCW Saturday Night or what have you and have seen Valentine then. So when this came up, I was like, yes, I was vaguely aware that he was there. But again, not so much from the time period. Um, and, and, and let me say this as we work into 1992 is, is I've always thought that WCW in 1989 that is my favorite year ever for any company. And as good as they were then, that's how bad I think they were in 1992, or what you would call the flareless era. Flair had left at that time, was working for WWF, and WCW during this period was just throwing a bunch of random crap at the wall to see what would stick. And the answer wasn't much. Um, you know, you mentioned Valentine not being part of a youth movement. He was 40 at this time. Um, 40 41 during this period and he shows up and he's put into this random tag team with terry taylor who i don't think there's any prior connection there with and they right. win the u.s tag team titles within a couple of weeks of being together over ron simmons and big josh who are another slap together tag team right and they feud with you mentioned the Freebirds, great tag team of course but also another feud they have was with marcus alexander bagwell and tom zank a slap together tag team. And it should be mentioned, 
that Bagwell Zinc, like that's not a tag team you talk about with Buff Bagwell, who's been with all these different teams. That's one of the few teams he was in that didn't win gold, didn't win belts. Uh, so that should tell you a lot right there. And then as soon as as Taylor and Valentine drops the belts to the Freebirds, they disappear. And I know we'll go through what happens next with Valentine. So while I think this is definitely the high point of his run in WCW, tagging with Terry Taylor and winning the U.S. tag belts. And I think Taylor and Valentine do hook up pretty well. While I mentioned before Valentine was an old-school all-rounder, I think you can say that about Terry Taylor as well, even though for the time period he was a little more modern than Valentine. Right. And was a little bit more of, I don't know if we want to call a high flyer, but more athletic and more agile and more right. flexible than, say, Valentine. So to me, the best tag teams aren't where you get two guys who are the same, but where you get two guys that can complement each other. So right. on paper, definitely, I think Valentine and Taylor make a good pair. No, yeah, I agree. And uh, to uh, mention again what you were talking about with leaving WWF and the youth movement when you mentioned how old he was, you know, just, you know, you got to put that into context. I mean, there's a lot of talent out there now who are much older than that and mm-hmm. can still go. But at that time, Vince was kind of moving away from some of those guys. I mean, you know, as you mentioned, 92 is the flareless era. So he was up there and, uh, you know, Hogan was still around, but like that, you know, would kind of drift downward, uh, you know, pretty soon. So I think, you know, even more than the youth movement, I think for Valentine, I think that he was just kind of being left out in the cold, so to speak. I I think that there was, you know, with Flair there and some of the other names like Sid uh, Justice, I think at that point, that's what his name was, but, uh, there was a lot of talent there. And so I think that he, some people have to get pushed down as a result of those big. And it should be mentioned too, that during that late period, Valentine had turned face and he is not a natural face. (laughs) And I think that was just them trying to do something different. Um, I don't remember the whole deal, but I believe it had to do with the split between him and the honky tonk man and leaving Jimmy Hart and all that. So I think that had a lot to do with it as well. We don't know what to do with Greg Valentine. Let's turn him face. At least that gives us some fresh matchups. But the man's not a natural face. Nobody yep. with that face could be a baby face. Yeah. He has a rugged and, you know, brawler type face and body frame. And that's mm-hmm. a compliment, by the way. Like, he, you know, nobody, like, it would be tough to make him, like, a, a good guy in any way. But, mm-hmm. Uh, anywho, maybe a tweener, but that's about the extent of it. Um, so yeah, after uh, they, he and Terry Taylor would, you know, as Leonard mentioned, had feuds with some various slapped together tag teams. He would, uh, they, uh, on February 15th, 1992, that would be his debut on television. And he would, two weeks later, defeat Ron Simmons and Big Josh with Terry Taylor to win the United States Tag Team Championships. Um, they would defend the belts against people like Zank and Bagwell on house shows. And at Wrestle War 92, they would lose to the Freebirds. And that was a pretty decent match, I would say. I- I'll be honest, I am not a Freebirds fan. I'm just not. I, I like mm-hmm. Terry Gordy. I think Terry Gordy is outstanding 
and one of one of the greats in the ring. I'm just not a big fan of them without him for sure. But uh, we can get into that on another episode. <laughs> I, I definitely think so because there's a really big difference between the original version of the Freebirds and the WCW version of the Freebirds. But yes, that's a whole other avenue. Absolutely. Uh, so yes, at Beach Blast, Valentine would kind of be, you know, single at this point. He would defeat uh, Marcus Bagwell. And you know what? On paper, if you had told me, hey, you got to watch this match between Greg Valentine and Marcus Bagwell, I'd be like, oh, God. But you know what? I thought it was pretty decent. You know, it wasn't great, but like it was for what it was. I thought they both did hard work in the ring. Um, and then after that, he would kind of get involved in a feud with Dusty and Dustin Rhodes where he would confront um, confront them on WCW Worldwide, and it would end up with Rhodes uh, attacking Valentine only then to be retaliated uh, on by Dick Slater and the Barbarian with Valentine. So that feud kind of went on for a little bit, and this would kind of lead into him teaming with Dick Slater, who, you know, they would wrestle uh, against people like Barry Windham and Dustin Rhodes and the Freebirds um, at Clash of the Champions 20. It would be Dick Slater and uh, yeah, Greg Valentine, duh. Greg Valentine and Dick Slater against Bobby Eaton and Arn Anderson, which is a heel versus heel match. And it wasn't very long, but you know, those four guys, you know, I enjoyed watching it. So Leonard, what did you think of any of these matches? If you did see them? Well, the first thing, you know, again, Slater and Valentine put together, slapped together tag team, two guys. Why not? Uh, but one thing here is is they had the mix with Dusty and Dustin Rhodes, and then that kind of had Valentine and Dustin feuding. I would have liked to have seen Valentine versus Dusty. You know, two veterans that could totally hold up your undercard with good promos and at least competent matches, if not super exciting ones. At this point, I think Dusty and Greg both had a sense of what they could and couldn't do in the ring right. to make that work. So I would very much would like to see have seen that as a feud. Now, as for the matches that you're talking about, I, I, I don't believe I've watched any of those because I think those from pay-per-views. I was seeing what I could find on um, uh, YouTube. And there are a bunch of, of Valentine uh matches from youtube during this period including some others with the free birds not the ones not the one where they turned the belts over uh but a significant one that i think really kind of defines valentine during this period is uh versus brian pillman and because pillman that one caught me immediately because like you said with with marcus alexander bagwell uh because he was not buff at this time uh was on paper you go well that doesn't fit together and that's why I was thinking with Brian Pillman. Well, that doesn't fit together. But you watch the match, and it's basically very interesting how Valentine gets Pillman to work his match, yeah. but still allowing Pillman to do Pillman things. Pillman right. uses drop kicks. Um, you know, Pillman is, is able to go into the ropes and shoot off and, and do body presses and things of that nature. But a very telling part of this match is that Valentine goes for a butterfly suplex or a double underhook suplex called so by Jim Ross and he goes to do it and instead of taking him over he just kind of flips him up and drops him 
with a slam with a look of, eh, that's good enough. <laughs> and I think that's very much, this is a period, and we're going to talk about this next, I assume, is that Valentine was getting, I think, fed up. And you mentioned this earlier, when he starts going down the card and he feels like he's not being used properly, that is when, you know, he kind of loses interest. And I, and I saw that in this match and I watched a few others. One, another one was him against Big Josh. And, um, you know, you get the sense. So I think the ones I watched were maybe the later period singles matches I was able to right. get to. And I think you do see, and again, I'm sure that's going to be the next segment, is how he began to slip down the card. And, and he was not putting in the effort that you saw earlier on when he was in these tag teams and in these meaningful feuds and having, you know, title matches and belt runs with, you know, the belt run with Terry Taylor. Yeah. And uh, that Pillman match was very interesting. If, if people want to check that out, they should, because it is the only match I can think of that ended with a count of five rope break. Yes. Yeah. Bill Alfonso is the referee. Yeah. And, and I love how he eventually catches Greg full on. Greg doesn't let go. He tries to pry the legs part for a second. Can't do that. Tries to get his arms <laughs> off the ropes. Can't do that. And he just kind of just counts them out and calls her the bell and still won't let go. It takes Ron Simmons and Dustin Rhodes coming out. Right. To get him to, to break. I, I'm sure it has happened, but that is, is, is one of the rare times at least that I can remember that being a thing. You know, what I remember doing is Ric Flair would do that all the time. And Tommy Young would just kick his arms. Right. I was waiting for Bill to kick him. And I was waiting for Bill to kick him because of Tommy Young, which never happened. But yes, that's, that's an intriguing um finish there yeah yeah it's very much an oddity in this stint um and you mentioned his match against big josh so leonard do you prefer big josh or doink you know what the original heel doink as played by matt Bourne, is is an interesting character and i would definitely say is better than big josh and i think and i didn't know this as a kid at the time i don't think i found this out till much much later that big josh and Doink were the same wrestler, at least, right. at least Doink to start with. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, and I think, and I think I've read and I've heard that Big Josh, aka Matt Bourne, wasn't necessarily into that character at the time. And again, that was a character which, if you watch WCW television, got bounced around a lot. He would get yeah. pushed a little. He wouldn't. He was hanging out with Ron Simmons a little bit, and then he wouldn't. And again, as I said before, they were thrown every dart they could the board and nothing was really sticking and they didn't know what not or not to do um, to make it work. This is really a, a down period for the company overall. Right. Yeah. And um, you know, you can find some of the televised WCW matches that Greg Valentine was in. Unfortunately, not all of them, but uh you know, there's one where it's like a, it's a six man Valentine, Dick Slater and Barbarian versus Ricky Steamboat, Barry Windham and Dustin Rhodes. That one's on there. Um, and as I said, on the Peacock Network, you can find the pay-per-views and the clash matches that that I mentioned. Um, but after that clash 20 tag match, um, he would be a, Valentine would be in a house show feud with Van Hammer and was undefeated. He would continue to team with Dick Slater against the Steiner brothers. I really wish that one of those matches would have been on TV, but those were only house shows. And on October 11th, 1992 of WCW pro, he was defeated by 
Shane Douglas. And that was his like last big match. Like he, like towards the end here, he lost to Shane Douglas and, and he lost to the Z man, Tom Zink, which is, you know, that you can understand why this might've been like the straw that broke the camel's back. Yes. You know, it's like, where am I going to go if I'm losing to the Z man? Um, but, yeah, and what does it say about Van Hammer that Van Hammer was the only guy he could beat during this period? Right, right. And, you know, at the same time, though, the way he chose to leave and the hill he chose to die on, so to speak, is mm -hmm. in retrospect, I don't think was a wise decision. So October, I mentioned it was October 11th, 1992 of WCW Pro that he lost to Shane Douglas on October 19th the taping of WCW Saturday night, he arrived to learn that he was supposed to lose to Sting at that night's taping. And instead of losing Sting, he resigned um, because, and you can hear this in one of his shoot clips, he didn't think Sting was all that spectacular. So he didn't want to lose to Sting, which I find weird. Uh, you know, I, I just find not wanting to lose to that. I can understand, leave if, here's the thing. If he had left when he lost to Z-Man, or Shane Douglas, I would have been like, okay, I kind of get that, you know, you, you know, maybe he should have just done business, but I can understand why you not think you don't, you're not going to have much direction by losing to those guys. But for Sting to be the one that you're like, oh no, I can't lose this. Uh, uh, to me, that's even then I would say that's weird. In retrospect, it looks even worse. But yeah, well, even at that time, Sting was at the top of the card. Right. And was was starting to transition into being a seasoned veteran. Um, you know, he had, he had been pro for what more than five years by by this point, and had right. been the world champion and all at this point. And I and I wonder if it wasn't just the fact that he was booked to lose against Sting, but the fact that from what I've read, it was you're going to lose against Sting, and who knows? Like they didn't necessarily right. have him booked the following week. Didn't know what he was going to do the following week. Right. Um, I think Sting versus Valentine would have been interesting. Absolutely. I think Sting versus Valentine could have been a uh, hold me up kind of feud if they were trying to figure out what to do with Sting next type of thing. I think that would have been interesting. And I think if they would have went to Valentine and said, here's what we're going to do. We, you know, we want you to lose this thing, but you can attack them afterwards. We're going to maybe do a, a, a TV feud, let you guys work a couple weeks on TV. I think he would have been more into it. That's just my guess that he would have been more into it. Uh, because as you said, if you look at the other people Valentine was losing to, a loss of Sting doesn't hurt you. It shouldn't be a deal breaker. Right. Um, you know, so I think it was maybe possibly more. I think it was we didn't have plans for you. Uh, even on the losing end of, say, a, a mid-card mid Sting feud, hey, you're going to – because they used to do that back in the day, that they would have these kind of – you know, the major feud and then maybe like a minor, hey, we're going to work with a guy for two or three weeks on TV just for doing it. Uh, something like that, I think, would appeal right. to him. But, uh, yeah, you know, I'm and I'm sure today, having met Greg, as I said, just a couple of times, you know, minor in passing, that he would probably stick to his guns that, no, I wasn't going to lose to Stang. And and that's where I left. But, yeah, I, I and it could have been, as you, you said, just the cultivation of it. I lose on week one, I lose on week two, I lose on week three. Doesn't matter who it is, I'm losing, and you have no idea what to do with me next. That might have been the culmination of it. 
Right. And it should also be mentioned in the same shoot clip, he mentioned that the person in charge at WCW at that time was Bill Watts. Bill Watts was the one that wanted him to lose to Sting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there are notorious stories about how talent did not get along with Bill Watts and really maybe didn't like his leadership style. And uh, I'm sure that that played a part in it. Who knows how he and Valentine got along if they did at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after this, he would go back to WWF for a short stint, 93, 94. He would be one of the Knights in uh, the Survivor Series with Jerry Lawler's team. And then eventually he would go back for a short time to WCW in 96 to 98, being used primarily on TV against Savage, the Giant, Lex Luger, um, people like that. So it, like there wasn't really much notable that was going on uh, with him in WCW at that time. I think it was just primarily to get a paycheck. And um, he said that, you know, the most important thing for him was the money, understandably so. And uh, he's just one of those consummate journeyman type of wrestlers. And I, I don't know for sure if his legacy would have been much more improved had he been more consistent, but it could have been, you know, if he had stayed longer at certain companies and didn't play hopscotch as much, there is a possibility that, you know, his legacy would be a little bit different. Um, But he chose to go at his own speed. And when he got tired of something, he was like, okay, I'm out. And, you know, he doesn't shy away from admitting that. So um, yeah, I mean, I always like Greg Valentine's work. Uh, I think that, he could be a help to some of the guys today in terms of match pacing and uh, psychology as well. Uh, but, you know, then again, I'm not in the business, but that's just what I see as a fan. So, Leonard, what do you think? Uh, my final thoughts here on uh, Greg Valentine's 92 WCW run. Well, first of all, from, from what you just said, I don't think Valentine would necessarily have the patience to work with guys today. You know, some people... That's true. <laughs> are, are good players, as it were, but yeah. they make lousy coaches because they can't yeah. explain how they do what they do or they don't have the tolerance to tell someone who is stupid, and I'm making air quotes for the listeners on uh, on the podcast as opposed to those watching online. People that, said that about yeah. Bobby Eaton as well, that yes. like, he was great in the ring, but he couldn't tell people how to do what he did. Yes, and I know he did work for uh, as a trainer for a bit for OBW, you know, because Duke Burnett was there. Uh, so yeah, I, I, so I think that would be the point where I don't think Greg would have the tolerance or the patience for it. And I think it would be, if it's not him in there doing it, he doesn't necessarily care. He's always come off as a bit gruff and rough and mean. And, you know, one thing that we haven't talked about, because we haven't been talking about Greg's entire career, but that dog collar match that he had with Roddy Piper in 1983. That is an amazing match. That's one of the best matches of all time. I highly recommend anyone to watch it if they have not. Absolutely. That was from, I believe, Mid-Atlantic. And I think if if Valentine, as you said, if he had not WWF, but Mid-Atlantic or had transitioned to what became WCW, what was known as NWA at the time, Georgia Championship, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think I could definitely see him having had had at least getting to the U.S. title level, having held the U.S. title, maybe being moved into a tag team at some point and ha- holding either the U.S. tag belts or the, or the uh, um, you know, heavyweight tag belts. 
a TV title run maybe later in his career as well. And again, you get that with consistency. You get that with you being there. Right. Um, and his longest stint, I don't know. I would guess that his longest stint was probably that mid 80s stint with WWF. I would really oh, have absolutely, to look. Yeah. And do the math, but that was probably where he was at the longest. And he did have an IC title run during that period. Um, he did have, you know, significant feuds during that period in the mid card. Um, again, as I said at the top of the show, I would make Greg Valentine one of my top 100 wrestlers of all time. Where I would put him, I don't know. I would have to do the list. He's probably on the on the second half of that hundred. Uh, and Go ahead and again, do that. We'll wait. Yeah, yeah, we're not going to do that tonight. That that might be a, a, uh, an anniversary show, or there do it do, do ten do ten a week for a while, or something like that. Fifteen a week, a hundred would be a marathon episode. Um, but uh, you know, anyway, ninety two WCW to sum it up, I think was just a real roller coaster ride for him as it was for the company. You know, he seemingly had more wins than losses. If you if you look, but those losses came towards the end. Right. He didn't seem to have much singles value. A lot of those losses came when he was a single. Um, he was primarily used in tag teams, but again, it was with Terry Taylor and Dick Slayers and guys who didn't necessarily have a history with him or maybe right. necessarily didn't fit him as a partner 100%. Um, and this was a period, too, where Dave CW was picking up some other guys. You know, Iron Sheik was one during this period that, who was there very, very briefly. I think he was maybe right before this, like 91. Uh, but I think there was an idea, and I read this with the Sheik, is that they thought they were getting the Sheik from 20 years ago. You know, not right. the Sheik from the 72 Sheik, not the 92 Sheik. The idea might have been somewhere with Valentine. But as we said, Valentine in 72, 92, 2022 is basically the same guy you know he might be a little heavier and a little older and a little slower so there you go you mentioned you mentioned the weight so that's what i was going to say his style doesn't change much but his appearance yeah think, by the time he got into 92 wcw you could tell that he had started to put some weight on uh you know a, a little bit more so than when he was in his prime uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, his in-ring work didn't really change much to that regard. But the, the, those guys of that period, you can tell the later era is they they get that that like not barrel chested, but barrel gut. The beer gut. They Let's have be beer gut. about it. It's the beer gut. It's not, it's not necessarily floppy, but it's kind of it's it's protruding. You know, there's yeah. a lump there around the midsection. They're working and, out, but they're still going to the bars after each. Yeah. Show. And they get, you get to an age where your metabolism is not going to burn that off so much. I mean, <laughs> if you look at, like, Don Morocco, case in point. Yeah. Mid to late 80s, Don Morocco in WWF looks nothing like the dude that broke into the business. That man was an, an, an Adonis. Right. Uh, yeah. If you go back and you can find old footage of him when he broke into the business. The late era, like early aughts Lex Luger, after he, like, WCW folded that's i mean in lex today of course is sad to see but that but the, the period after where he really you know let the body start to go those are always very interesting matches for me to watch these guys who were in such tremendous shape at one point later eras of their career um you know again jim duggan never super in shape but as you if you can make a flip book like jim duggan by the years and the only difference is the gut just comes out more and more. Yeah, I mean, him, him mid-South, Jim Duggan is 
not the Jim Duggan you grew up with in any way, shape, or form, yes. maybe except for the beard. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, that's a tangent. Uh, I would, you know what? Yeah. If I were recommending uh, matches for anybody to look at for this period of Greg Valentine, I would say the Pillman match simply for the ending because it was mm-hmm. just weird to see. But in terms of in-ring execution, I would say the Wrestle War 92 against the Freebirds, that was a good match for both teams. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of the matches that he did in this period on TV are not on the Peacock Network now because, well, it's terrible. But, uh, you know, if you wanted to look at the WCW Pro and the WCW Main Event and the WCW Saturday Night type stuff, not all of it's on there. Some of those, some of the episodes are on there, but not really for Greg Valentine's year. So uh, that's unfortunate, but uh, you can find a handful of them on YouTube, as, mm-hmm. uh, as Leonard mentioned. Um, but yeah, this isn't the most memorable period of Greg Valentine's career, but it is worth mentioning, you know, where his mind was and kind of why he went there. And uh, it, you know, if, if it draws people's attention to some of these matches, then that's, that's cool. So, right, Leonard? All right, that's uh, what we always try to do is necessary, is tackle things that necessarily other podcasts or webcasts don't tackle and to maybe get people interested in an era or a wrestler or a company, et cetera, et cetera, that maybe they weren't necessarily interested in before. And mostly of what I like to call the old school or retro wrestling era. And there's me right. with the air quotes again, watchers. Well, that will about do it for us this week. I know Leonard's going to go order his big Josh shirt here. But uh, for Leonard, my name is Chad. We will see you next week. And Alexa, will see you out.